You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Hello, Third Church and other listeners. Um, This is Brooke Wright here, the Director of Worship at Third. I'm here with Corey, the lead pastor. Hi, Corey. Hi, Brooke. And we have assisting us today, Chipper, who's doing production and is probably going to chime in at some point in this conversation. Hi, Chipper. Hi, Brooke. Um, Here at 3rd, when we feel like something we say maybe on Sunday needs more conversation or exploration, um, we like to do this thing where we record an audio appendix. It's just an opportunity to have extended conversation, um, to add just some more context and explanation around some things and ask some different questions than we can outside of Sunday. And this past week, Corey, you received lots of questions from people, more than usual, (laughs) about Mm -hmm. your sermon, um, which was about the resurrection of body. And so we're here to talk about that. Yeah, it was interesting. uh, Emails, uh, people asking me, just walking up after the service with questions, um, the chat during the, ser- the service itself was full of questions, way more questions than I ever normally get after right. a sermon. And I think that indicates just how fuzzy our thinking is about what happens to us after death, um, the nature of heaven, the nature of the resurrection, the nature of the resurrection of the body, um, that there's just a lot of confusion out there, mm-hmm. and there's just not, there's not a ton of Christian teaching about what is the ultimate Christian hope. Mm. Um, and so we thought it would be fun to actually look at some of these questions that we got, that, that, that we got asked and talk about it a little bit together and, um, and have some fun hopefully along the way. (laughs) Um, so, so the, the, the basic, if you didn't hear the sermon, it probably would be helpful to go back and listen to it. But basically we talked about the fact that the ultimate Christian hope is not heaven, um, but is the resurrection of the body and that heaven is really the Bible sees as the place of God's dwelling um, sees as an intermediate state where the dead wait for the resurrection, um, but that the ultimate Christian hope is what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death. That not a confusing phrase at all. Not a confusing <laughs> phrase at all, but I love that phrase. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to talk about that and some of the implications and the questions that arise. Yeah. Let's dig in to some questions. Um, so firstly, I think when you say something like, our hope is not heaven, like Jaws drop. Yeah. And people are like, what <laughs> are we talking about? So could you just maybe explain a little bit about what is the biblical concept of heaven and yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. For... Yeah. So I, I think that, and I didn't really have much time to talk about this on Sunday, but we have to unpack a little bit the biblical cosmology, like the way that the Bible understands the framework of the universe. Um, and so when you read the, the first couple chapters of Genesis, it talks about how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And so with that what that means is that in the beginning, and what Eden represents, is a fusion of heaven and earth. Heaven is the place where God dwells. Earth is the place where humans dwell. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth to work to be of, of one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, when humanity rebelled and sinned against God, heaven and earth were separated. And so now the dwelling of God is separate from the dwelling of humanity. And the end of the Bible, we talk about the big story, you know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. The mm-hmm. end of the Bible, the end of the story is the reuniting of heaven and earth. And so that's the ultimate hope for the Christian, is not um, flying away to someplace, but is heaven coming to earth 
and they're God recreating the heavens and the earth. That's the ultimate Christian hope is the place um, when God almost does an Eden 2.0 mm-hmm. and we're dwelling again on a resurrected earth and dwelling again with God there. So, um, so if earth is a circle and heaven is a circle, in the beginning when God creates both, they're, they're overlapping. They're, yes. They look like one. Yep. At the fall, they turn into two separate circles. Right. And then the consummation of all things. I don't know if this is a good analogy. No, it's a great analogy. It's a good visual, which isn't helpful on a podcast. But anyway. Well, <laughs> and what's really cool about what you're saying is that, and what makes it actually more confusing, is that in the third chapter of the story, Redemption, the circles are overlapping. It's like a Venn diagram. Yeah, it's like a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And so that's why G- when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is, is here, mm-hmm. he's saying that even though the old creation is still going on right now, the new he- the, the heaven has infiltrated earth. Yeah. And so now Christians are supposed to embody as a foretaste of the new creation, even while the old creation is continuing. But one day when Jesus r- returns, that those two circles will be fully overlapping again. Right. So... Yeah. So what does this mean for um, my granddad? Like, where's my grandma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> you know, the Bible suggests the dead are with Christ in heaven. Um, this is not some heavenly place in the sky. Heaven is simply where God is. Hmm. Um, so think of it as like, I, I mean, I always, I know this, this isn't perfect, but I always think that C.S. Lewis is... Um, concept of Narnia is like a really good way to think about it because it's not like if you like went up in a spaceship you would like get to heaven or something like it's more that heaven is a is a is a dimension that is side by side with us all the time and we're getting into physics I know I'm a little physics, nervous getting into multiverses here <laughs> right but this is you know the Bible is talking about multiverses before. Marvel, you know, like (laughs) um, the original. So, so heaven is alongside Earth all the time. It's like a second dimension. It's the dimension where God and the angels and where Jesus is actually living in His embodied full form, Mm -hmm. um, and where we the dead are. Yeah. Now, what form they're in is unclear, um, but Grandma's there. Grandma's, you know, (laughs) Grandma's with God. Grandma's with Christ, Um, and. That's the the dimension where where God dwells. Okay, so some and people Dr. have Doctor Strange is there too. Doctor <laughs> Strange might be there, possibly. Yes. Um, so people have a lot of questions about this, which makes sense because, from what I can tell, it's like not super clear, which is what no, you're alluding. It's but not like, clear. Um, you know, Paul talks about like the first that a, they've fallen asleep, yep. and so yep. are we conscious during this time? Like, what? Right. Sleeping actually sounds kind of nice. Yeah. As a mother of a two-year-old, right. I'm like, mm, yeah. maybe that'd be okay. <laughs> well, I could sleep for like a thousand years. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of debate about this, and there has been debate about this for literally 2,000 years. Okay. Since, Nothing um, new here. And so on the one hand, there are those who say that heaven, being dead is just being asleep in Christ, that you're not conscious, mm. that you're... Um, that you're with Christ, that there are folks who really want to preserve the body-soul integration and reject Gnosticism, and we can talk about that a little bit. But basically, in the biblical anthropology, you don't have... It's not just that you have a body, but that you are a body. It's not like... Your body's your, an integral part the, of a your body's whole A body's an integral self. part of your whole soul. Yeah. So it's not like the true you is your soul, and then like a Tupperware container, <laughs> it, you're deposited in a body... Um, but that your body is part of your whole self. And so what these folks argue is, 
well, you can't ever be separated from your body. Yeah. Like you can't have a, that's Greek. That's, that's Greek mythology. That's Greek Gnosticism. You can't like have a, you separate it from your body. It also feels. Because then you wouldn't be you. Right. right? It, it feels also like conflating people who believe in like reincarnation, like you're totally be, that, you're that a your soul that's traveling. You, that your true you is like separate from your body and then yeah. you can travel and get deposited in different Tupperware containers. Right. Which is just, it's, it, that's very much an Eastern um, concept, Hindu concept of yeah. the afterlife. Right. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of Christians actually believe that mm-hmm. without realizing that they're succumbing to Gnosticism and Hinduism. Wow. Um, so there are many, many Christian theologians and, and biblical scholars who believe that um, there is no separation of the spirit from body of death, but the dead are simply dead, meaning that they're simply asleep in Christ. This theologian, who's also a scientist named John Polkinghorne, says that we're held in the divine memory. Hmm. Um, and he, he uses this analogy that, like, um, God uploads you into his hard into his software hmm. and then in the new creation he downloads you into a new creation body i mean i it's Whoa. kind of a weird analogy but anyway um so so what these folks argue is that at the resurrection of the dead you'll simply wake up like have you ever had surgery mm-hmm. where you have anesthesia and you get knocked out yeah and then you wake up and like you know your appendix is gone and you're like whoa how long was I asleep? Right, you just have and you, you just, just have remember no falling asleep. So there's a lot of people who believe that it'll be like that. Like you're f- you'll die and then your first conscious memory is receiving your new body of the return of Christ. Hmm. Um, on the other hand, the New Testament does seem to affirm that there's some conscious intermediate state. So like Paul says in Philippians one, it's better by far to be with Christ. Or Second Corinthians five, I would prefer to be away from the body and with the Lord. Hmm. Um, Revelation talks about the dead in Christ gathered around the throne in heaven, crying out for the day of judgment and the day mm-hmm. of resurrection. Although you have to do remember that Revelation is apocalyptic and, po- and poetry, so you right. Can't, so we might you not have be, to be able careful to about literally. reading it literally. But yeah. what's clear, I think, is that if there is so so anyway, what I'm saying is the the biblical witness is fuzzy mm-hmm. about what the intermediate state is, and I think the important point is there is that there's actually much more clarity, much more emphasis and much more certainty about the final state, what comes after the intermediate state. Mm-hmm. And what is after the intermediate state is the return of Christ, the judgment, and the resurrection of the body, and the new creation. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. what we can be clear on, and I think we have to be a little bit agnostic when it comes to agnostic, not where grandma gnostic. is. Agnostic, <laughs> that's not tricky. gnostic. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, yes. So, um, so on Sunday, you sort of mentioned cremation, somewhat negatively and it's interesting because it, even in our prep for last sunday as a worship staff we were talking about that and i was just like yeah what? You, your mind was blown wasn't it, it? was yeah. because Corey, the reason why i've never um pictured my hand with my fingernails <laughs> turning purple which you so perfectly um described was because i have always assumed i would be cremated because oh, it's, yeah. it felt like it would just be like the speed up of the dust to dust right right thing and then you don't yeah. have to deal with like purple finger like gross yeah, purple so yeah. anyways this is like really a question for me too so like what should christians not be cremated like what do you think yeah. about that what are the implications of this well it's up for debate um i will say that the historic position of the christian church was against cremation so still J- the jewish community today the muslim community today mm. the orthodox christian community today are all prohibit cremation because they believe that the body belongs to God. The body is not your own. And so if you're cremated, you're basically like doing destruction of property. You're like you're, wow. you're just destroying property that isn't yours. Um, and that it's up to God to decide what happens to the body. 
Um, so that being said, there is really not any um, clear prohibition of cremation in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sometimes people use Genesis 3.19, like, for dust you are to dust and to dust you will return in defending cremation, like you just like said. Like I just you know, did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> our bodies become dust anyway. You know, cremation just gets it there faster, which is true. <laughs> um, and God created humans from dust. You know, he could certainly reform, you know, remake our bodies. You know, nothing is impossible for God. And the fact is, is that many people have been martyred. Um, mm. People um, are in explosions or terrible car accidents where right. they're completely, their bodies are completely disfigured or... or or even incinerated, um, you know, it, it just, it, it, I don't think it, it, it's right to, um, to make a moral judgment about right. that. I will say personally, I plan to have my body present at the Well, you have to live out that. your fantasy uh, of your <laughs> lifeless hand. <laughs> I just, I just think I, and I know this sounds kind of creepy, but I think it's very powerful when there is a body at the funeral service, it happens rarely these days. I think out of twenty funerals, maybe one that I do actually has the body present. Wow! I just think it's very powerful to proclaim the Christian hope that this person, this body right here, will be remade. This body will be resurrected. It really just—it's very hard to talk to have some like idea of a Gnostic heaven where the person is away somewhere dancing. If on you can legs. see if them, you can see their right. body right there and know that this body itself will be risen from the dead. You know, it's interesting. I never really thought about this until now, but as like a theology of worship person, we have a lot of like symbol, visible symbols present in our mm-hmm. worship, yeah. right? We have the yeah. font about our baptism. We have the table mm-hmm. about communion and those signify a lot of different yeah. things. And so it's almost like you're treating having this body present as a symbol, a sign pointing to the the resurrection of the body. That's super interesting. Well, and in the early Christian tradition, this is why they started the catacombs. They started burying. Because in the the Roman world, people just burned bodies. Uh, But uh the Christians were like, no, the the body is important because God's going to raise the body. And so they started burying bodies in their churches. And then, you know, now we have in New England, I mentioned on Sunday, there's graveyards around every... So it was a tradition of the church to... We're worshiping with the dead, and the dead present in our place of worship reminds us that we're part of this whole communion of saints that is waiting for the final resurrection of the dead. Wow. So in a way, maybe for the sake of like aesthetic and manicuring something, we've actually separated ourselves from the reality of of death. Bring back, bring back dead bodies, man. (laughs) You heard it here. Put it on a, put it on a t-shirt. Okay. Oh, oh, but you know, it's, I will say this. It's so interesting when you go back and start reading some of these second and third century documents the, pe- the stuff that people debated about, like one debate I read was like them arguing about whether a cannibal oh. who eats a Christian um, and then becomes a Christian, whose oh. bits of bodies will be a part of who at the resurrection of the dead? Because, you know, yes, if he these ate the are Christian, the pressing questions. Yes. And they were literally like arguing about this. Wow. Which is, feels totally silly and irrelevant to us. But I think the point is that that's how seriously they took the resurrection of the dead. Right. Is that they would have ar- this is arguments how real about cannibals. And it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. So if if my body's present at my funeral, then certain members of my family will still find time to complain about my tattoos. Um, <laughs> yes. What, what happens to tattoos in our rex- resurrection? Oh, bodies. okay. Yeah. So Chipper's bringing up a. Uh, <laughs> the issue of continuity, 
right? Okay. What's what's the continuity between our current bodies and our resurrection bodies? Um, and when you say continuity, it's like what age will we be? Will we be? Yeah, gendered? like like if, if, I, if, if I see Brooke, my... if I see Brooke in the new creation, like will I know it's Brooke? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and will there be like Brooke right now? I'm looking at Brooke. She has her part of her hair is blonde and she's wearing earrings and how old are you you're 30 something 29 like will you be that age or what um you know this is where we're just like pointing into the fog like we don't really know Uh, the early a lot of people in the early church argued that you would be 33 because that's that's when jesus died and that was kind of like the age of your prime or something i think that's very weak uh, there's, it's not very defensible based on <laughs> scripture. Um, I, you know, we learn a lot by looking at Jesus's body, right? So mm-hmm. Jesus had scars mm-hmm. when he was, when he was killed and wounds when he was killed. And then in his resurrection, he had scars and wounds on his hands and he still bears those scars presumably. And so you could say that chipper is sort of like a, you a tattoo, a tattoo, a tattoo of sorts. Um, <laughs> Maybe, I mean, maybe your tattoo will just be, like, super awesome in the new creation because it'll be, like, some amazing, like, transformed work of art that... Um, like the rocks character in Moana, they, how they yeah, they oh like yeah, animated. like it starts glittering and stuff. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that what we can reflect on that is that um, we will be who we are in the new creation, right? Like, if if you are a... We talked about this on Sunday. We talked about ethnicity. Like, if you're a black woman in in this life, you will be a transformed, resurrected black woman in the new creation. Like, mm-hmm. your body's important. Like, your embodiment, your ethnicity, your gender, you know, who you are. Mm-hmm. I know that raises a lot of complicated questions, but um, that you're it's so important, like, that Jesus is saving all of you body mind and spirit right. and that your body and who you are embodied is beautiful and honored and god loves your you and who you are so much that he will transform you for all eternity and to be the glorious whole person that he always made you to be i mean that's just beautiful right mm-hmm. um so on the one hand i think it says that there's real dignity to your body on the other hand you know paul does make an argument and i don't think this is an argument against tattoos i'm not against tattoos at all um but in in 1 Corinthians 6, he does talk about, like, that what you do with your body matters because he says, like, your body is a temple of the Spirit, the body is the Lord's. In that context, he's mm. using it about sex, like, how you use your body sexually um, and because it has to do with your whole self, not just your physical self, but your spiritual self. How that relates to tattoos or piercings, I don't really know. It just means, as a Christian, we're called to live knowing that this body doesn't belong to me. It belongs mm-hmm. to God, mm-hmm. and that this body I will have forever. Mm. And so, what I actually do with my body now has consequences for all eternity. Um, again, I don't think that means not getting a tattoo. I'm just saying it's something to reflect on. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not irrelevant. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Well, what do we think about? There were some questions about what about people with disabilities, and I know you have a goddaughter mm. with Down syndrome. Yeah, I worked with kids on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. for several years and yeah. then was an aide to a boy with cerebral palsy for a long time. So I think we both have maybe yeah. some thoughts about this. Curious what you would say. Oh, gosh. I think this is such a interesting topic and one that I don't 
feel very equipped to answer. <laughs> right. Really interested to hear. I will say what, yeah, my goddaughter Penny has Down syndrome, and it's interesting. Her mom said said a few years ago to me that, you know, she used to think about like how you know in the new creation Penny will not have Down syndrome anymore, and mm. you know not have that disability. But but after after you know so many years of raising this beautiful young woman who's now this like wonderful 16 year old young woman mm. um her, her, part of her down syndrome is what her down syndrome is part of what makes her penny is part of what makes her beautiful is yeah. what makes her so loving so kind so generous hearted yeah um and so you know Amy julia actually thinks you know she'll still be penny like that whether that means god like redeems redeems that aspect of who she is probably doesn't mean an erasure of that part of her but a redemption of it somehow um, and so what that mm. means for people with other kinds of disabilities, I don't really know. But I do know that what Jesus wants to do is redeem the essence of who we are, not just in our souls, but in our bodies as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that has lots of implications for those who struggle with their bodies in this present life. I don't know. What do you think, Brooke? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this over the last couple of weeks since we you know, were talking about in preparation for last Sunday. Um, and I thought about this a lot right after college when I, um, yeah, was doing like direct work with, um, kids with disabilities. Um, there's a part of me that like, especially wants to, in the same way, I think that Amy Julia is saying like, wants to dignify those people, like Mm -hmm. their existence, the way they live, even limitations and all like have a unique ability to reflect the image of God in a way that we don't, how they Mm -hmm. think, what they come up with, like, it's just, it's different than me, and it's powerful and valuable, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, like, I would hope that those parts of them would carry into yeah. the the new creation. And yet, there are things that I could definitely see, like, I have hope would be transformed, like, mm. ability to communicate and connect and yes, those kinds of things. Yeah. But I will also say that we're, like, two able-bodied people, like, mm-hmm. conjecture talking about this. And I know that there are people who have experiences that we just like can't really even imagine what it's like and might have strong feelings about their bodies. Like people who might be wheelchair bound or Mm. like the idea that maybe they wouldn't run, jump and dance in the new creation is just absolutely absurd. And so, yeah, yeah, again, I I don't think we could know. Well, Johnny Erickson Tata, you know, writes about this, who who was, who's, who's a quadriplegic and she often says that, you know, she, she will have a body that can run and dance. And she says the first thing she'll do is kneel oh, in front of beautiful. Jesus. And, um, and so, you know, there, there are those, I think, that we can learn from with disabilities who write and reflect on this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's much better to listen to, to listen them, them not us. Than, yes, just yeah. just yeah. thinking about it off the cuff. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm, that's good. Um, okay. So, slightly switching gears. What about hell, Corey? We've talked about the circle of heaven, the circle of yeah, earth. What do- yeah, a couple of people asked me about that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I, I think what's, what's clear is that what it, we have this cultural idea that, you know, I get from, we get from, from Greek mythology, that we get from Gary Larson's The Far Side Cartoons, you know, that, that like people die and then your soul either floats to heaven or to hell. And like hell is this like place under underground with like little devils with porch with pitchforks and, and like fire. fire yeah. And heaven is this place with like pearly gates and angels. And I just think if you can just do everything you can to just 
um, scrub that from your mind. That, that is <laughs> that is a complete unbiblical concept. Um, and um, I think what what the what what the Bible seems to teach is that at the resurrection, there you know what we're waiting for is a return of Christ, and at that return of Christ, there will be a judgment, and there will be a resurrection, and there will be a new creation, and everyone will be raised. So Paul says in Acts 24, 15, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Um, in John 5, Jesus says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, that is the Son of Man's voice, and mm-hmm. come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to li- life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Mm-hmm. Um, and Revelation 20 portrays a similar scene where the dead are raised, all the dead are raised, both both the wicked and the righteous, and there will be a judgment, and that those who are not found in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, it's very, very, like, sobering, yeah. terrifying imagery. Um, so I think what's clear is that there's not, like, it's not like some, oh, you know, like, your friend Jack, I hope he's not in hell right now. No, Jack's dead, you know, <laughs> um, just as dead as grandma. But there will, there is coming a day of resurrection where there will be a judgment, and mm. there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. And I think what we know is that, like, we have to... St- we have to like answer before God and like that, that there's a, there's a judgment coming where, where God makes the world right. And for Christians, that can be a day that we don't dread because our judgment has already happened mm. in the person of Jesus. And that it's a day that we actually yearn for because it's a day when God finally sets the world to right mm. and he, and he defeats evil. And he, especially what is very clear in the Bible is that he defeats Satan and he defeats evil and all that stands against humans flourishing. Um, I think what isn't clear is, what hell is exactly. Mm. And there are like three historic Christian positions on it that I think are all biblical, biblically defensible. Um, one is a, it, like eternal conscious torment. And that is like at the resurrection of the dead, like people are just like eternally condemned. I mean, that, that language is sometimes used in scripture and it's mm-hmm. really, really unnerving. Um, second, there are people, including my mentor, John Stott, who argued for the annihilation of those who reject Christ, um, and a lot of the metaphors of like fire and smoke and darkness and 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 um, kind of nothingness kind of su- suggest that that mm. um, there's just as there isn't a what what they're based that argument is based on is that um, there would be no joy in the new creation if there was like this ongoing eternal conscious torment, and so God just sort of somehow like does away with evil entirely mm. and those who want to not be there. Um, and then a third, uh, option is, um, the restoration of all humanity or what the early Christians called, um, uh, apocastasis. Hmm. Um, so lots, and actually that's still a very, very strong position in the Orthodox church today. So here they really, really point to Paul's writings who talks so much about the universal salvation that Christ has wrought. So God has reconciled all things to himself in Christ. God desires all people to be saved, um, you know, God was reconciled. God has reconciled all things to Himself, mm. um, and so that that idea is that in the end, at the resurrection, God overcomes all human rebellion, um, and that what Jesus has done is all sufficient for for all humanity, and that God will judge what is evil in humanity, and He will judge Satan Himself and banish evil entirely. Mm. But in the end, God overcomes all human rebellion. So, um, you know, what seems to me is that it's just best for Christians to be agnostic about it just because... Again, not Gnostic. Again, not Gnostic, but agnostic. <laughs> it's Just confusing. because the Bible's witness is... 
I think what is clear is that there's a judgment and that we should be really, really um, uh, sober about that. Yeah. And that we should invite people to repent and believe in Jesus. Um, you know, personally, my my be- hope and belief is I, b- I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient for all. I don't believe in limited atonement like wow. some Reformed people do. I believe yeah. that Paul is being super clear that Christ died for all and that God desires all people to be saved and that Jesus's death and resurrection is sufficient for the sins of all humanity. Um, And yet it does seem to be the case that um, there are some who eternally refuse God's grace Mm -hmm. and that God will not force them um, into the new creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, that's what I feel comfortable with saying about the biblical witness, but I think that we need to remain agnostic on it while soberly acknowledging the reality of judgment of judgment. Yeah. yeah. That one makes me feel the less the least squirmy. <laughs> but um I don't know <laughs> if that's C.S. a Lewis's I don't know view. if that's a reason. <laughs> yeah. To, to yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well it's it's hard. It is. Yeah. Um okay, so given kind of this whole conversation and even in thinking about how, you know, you said in the beginning, this is clearly an area where we are either not explicitly taught like i don't know how it is that we've inherited yeah like uh, kind of blind spots around this or confusion around this where as you've said it does seem to be like such a central point of the historical church and so i'm just curious from your perspective like do you think that's because of like modernity do you think that's like a specifically american thing Mm. like what do you maybe this is all conjecture i guess but like i'm just curious I mean, I don't know, Brooke. That's a. I mean, I think that the roots of it are Platonism. So Plato taught this. He was, you know, and then his student Aristotle, which is like this. the separation of it was spirit the separation and body. Separation of, of spirit and body. The Gnosticism that I talked about on Sunday that matter is evil, yeah, um, and spirit is good. The body is um, gross, uh, and there were even like Christians like Docetists who believed that Jesus didn't truly have a body that. When he, at his baptism, like, they, they didn't want to think about Jesus, like, going through puberty, mm. Jesus having body odor, Jesus going to the bathroom. Like, they didn't, <laughs> they just thought that's gross. No way would God ever, like... Wow. Because they were so influenced by Gnosticism. Yeah. And so what they believed is that at Jesus's baptism, um, he, he, his spirit inhabited the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Huh. And then he did his ministry for three years, and then at the resurrection and the ascension, his spirit went again to God. And so that's how opposed wow. they were to the idea of the body. Um, and so that, I just think the specter of Platonism and Neoplatonism and Docetism has just sort of like remained with it's, the church this, for like 2,000 kind of, years. Right, this like heresy that was yeah. with us is still yeah. just kind of hanging around. Yeah, and then I think it was really, really intensified in the medieval ages mm. in the Roman in the Roman church. With the idea of purgatory and kind of the idea that like um, your soul had to somehow like work its way out of this like in between place, and the only way that makes any sense cosmologically is with like a separation of body and spirit. Wow. Um, and then like as our own culture has you know has this like cocktail of like Western Greek um, philosophical origins, and then as we've been influenced by like more modern pop culture ideas of like Buddhism and Hinduism Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. materialism. Like it's just sort of creates this cocktail that just points to this idea of like the soul flying away. Yeah. It's interesting because I would think that the influences around this, we can't actually fully 
appreciate the incarnation even no. if we don't have it's interesting so yeah. so how how do you think what implications have we seen like in our own embodiment as a as a church maybe not even just third just in yeah, general yeah. like how has this impacted yeah how we've lived or not lived according to this i mean principle? gosh there's so many implica- i mean we could spend you know, hours talking about this and we won't right now. But, <laughs> I mean, we talked a little bit about Sunday implications like the resurrection of the body should like, um, it, it clarifies our hope. It really like dignifies our current bodies, especially for those who struggle with shame or who have somehow been told that their bodies are not valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives us hope for like, what we do with our aging, aching bodies, you know. But there's also a lot of ethical things, I think, that arise. Like someone asked me about gender dysphoria. Uh I mean, I don't want to go into that now because that's such a complicated topic. But um, there's a big debate in our culture right now about gender dysphoria and whether the person, whether your gender is biologically given or whether it's psychologically determined. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that even though I don't think this gives a clear answer, and I do believe in the reality of gender dysphoria, Mm -hmm. and we need to be very compassionate to those who struggle with it, I do think that the Christian anthropology about the body should really inform the way that we think about mm-hmm. things like gender dysphoria and transgenderism. Yeah. Um, even, I mean, I was just thinking in the news this week, like, you know, the last couple of weeks, there was all that, there's all the hubbub about Roe v. Wade and whether Roe v. Wade is going to get overturned. And there's yeah. a big debate in our culture about abortion. Um, just yesterday, there was that horrible, horrible shooting in Texas yeah. um, where little children's bodies were gunned down. And, Last week, there was the shooting in Buffalo where mm-hmm. black bodies were gunned down. Um, in the last two years, there have been debate about um, uh, racism in the United States after mm-hmm. the death of George Floyd. And um, Virginia, there was a big debate in Virginia about the death penalty and mm-hmm. whether that, I mean, all of these things relate to the body. Yeah. They're all related to the body. Yeah. And as Christians, and I know that I'm only speaking for myself here, I believe that we're called to be radically pro-body. Hmm. and therefore radically pro-life. And for me personally, that means being like pro-life when it comes to abortion, but it also means like being like anti-racist when Mm -hmm. it comes to debating about racism and its presence in our society. It means being someone who cares about like common sense measures for gun control because we want to protect bodies. Um, It means being against things like the death penalty because we don't have the right to kill the body because the body is the Lord's. Hmm. Um, You know, I find myself often like, a political misfit, yeah. and I think all Christians should feel that way a little bit, mm-hmm. because our anthropology and our biblical theology of the body should always put us out of step with political right. parties. It's just such a different. It's just framework. such a different way of thinking yeah. about the human body and about the salvation that Jesus has 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 died and risen to give us. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. What about you? Any implications that you think about? Well, I'm just thinking about the ways in which, like, the separation of body and spirit has affected, like even how Christians decide to live, like, can we enjoy food? Can we, mm, you know, like, yeah, just some of these just basic, yeah, yeah. Just, which maybe also has to do not only with this, but, like, with our view of, like, creation, like, the yeah. whole gospel. Because I do think there's, like, um, I don't know, this, you know, it has to be within reason. There's, But the, I do feel like there's this tendency towards, like, deprivation of the body a yes, little bit. Yeah. And this sp- seems to speak in a redeemed way against yeah. that. That our bodies are super important. They're part yeah. of our spirituality. 
It's really important. Like, this is almost like a holy, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about self-care in our culture. And yes. Sometimes Christians dismiss that as being, like, secular or something. But, like, the theology of the body, like, means that, that there's, like, a holy self-care. That, like, yes. you love your body, treat your body well, take care of your body, give your body sleep, give your body good food. Right. You know, you right. know. Treat, treat your body to rest, the restful vacations, you know. I mean, and I also think that we're in a time, especially coming out of the pandemic, where we were essentially like disembodied brains mm, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Like we were stuck behind screens. Oh, totally. And you can't, you can't engage with one another in your body. Like when, when um, in the scripture it says, love the Lord with all your mind soul heart yeah. and strength it's yeah. it's it's like that loving the lord with your strength that i feel like we've yeah. missed out and it's it's all part of it right totally um i mean i think there's huge implications for technology for this and actually andy crouch just wrote a book about this yes yes about yes. how to use technology in a way that is embodied yes i listened to an interview with him and he he says i don't remember in the context but he says that he eats one dinner a week with his family by candlelight. Like, he turns off electricity yes. because it, like, yeah. connects them in a right. different embodied way. Yeah. I mean, this is an extreme yeah, example. Yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting. That's a bit much, Andy. <laughs> but I get it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, technology is radically disembodying and, and, and even can, – can be. And even, like um, – the whole meta thing, you know, that Facebook changed its company name to Meta and the, the yes. whole future of the metaverse. And and I think that, that for Christians, we need to be really, really wary about that because technology that doesn't, if technology isn't used and stewarded to help us be more embodied mm-hmm. creatures who are having embodied human connections with one another, um, then we, I think, should be really, really careful about that. And even Brooke, Brooke and I and Chipper and others have talked about this with our worship. Like yeah. we wanted to make live streaming accessible during the pandemic because a lot of people couldn't make it. But we have thought about deliberate choices to to actually not make our technology as good as it could be <laughs> to encourage embodiment, yeah. you know, people's presence. And in a and, way, when we couldn't all gather, technology was giving a sense of embodiment, which is like yeah. you could gather in your homes, you could see people you know, gathered in church versus like sending out a worship guide that was a paper that you were just isolated yeah. by yourself. So it it was used as a tool almost of embodiment, yeah. embodied worship at the yeah. start. And now we're just in a different place. So it's time to reexamine some yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Well, um, any last thoughts here? This is all so rich, Corey. Any thoughts, Chipper? Nothing. <laughs> We answered all your questions. All of them. Good thing it's all crystal clear. Um, okay, well. Um, well, that was fun, guys. So fun. Yeah. I'm excited to continue to dig into, um, yeah, implications of the yeah, resurrection. Yeah, we're going to talk this week. Elizabeth is preaching on what the resurrection says about our relationships and community. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk about, like, our labor, like, what we do in our bodies, like, our work. Yeah. And our justice and our mercy and, like, things that we – how does that have to do – like, what meaning does that have? And then we're going to end the last week talking about the the, the earth itself, like, mm-hmm. animals, creation, wow. mountains, trees, like, what the resurrection says about that. So lots of awesome stuff. Exciting. I love to think about this. Yeah. Well, um, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for listening, and we hope that you'll join us um, on a Sunday soon to continue this journey through the hope of our resurrection. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.